This is Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care, where we have insightful conversations about parenting for bio, foster, adoptive, or blended families to better understand the experiences we all face as families. A warm welcome to everyone joining us today. I'm Deborah Linder along with Liz Rivera. It is May and it is National Foster Care Month, Liz. Yes, each May we get to highlight the amazing work that foster families do with the children they care for and the families of those children. And we also appreciate the community that supports the foster families in that work. We also know that state government policies are important, that they can also help supporting these foster families. And that, of course, is so the foster families can continue to support the children in their care who are in their homes through no fault of our own. It is our honor to welcome two people who have been instrumental in focusing the spotlight on the needs of families in Utah, including those children in foster care and their foster families. I want to welcome First Lady Abby Cox and Governor Spencer Cox. Welcome to Fostering Conversations. Thank you. It's great to be here with you today. We're really excited to be a part of this conversation and to celebrate this May with you. It's worth celebrating. Well, First Lady, you launched your Show Up initiative two years ago. I remember us being at the zoo this very month. You've done a lot of listening to foster families, to youth in care. What have you learned? How has it guided you in how and where you focus your efforts? You know, we have spent these last two plus years really listening, thinking about how to problem solve. I have to say Utah Foster Care and our other great organizations in the state do a phenomenal job in making sure that the most vulnerable children in our state are taken care of, are getting the services that they need, and are finding really incredibly warm and giving families to help them through this difficult time. What I've learned over the past few years is really just that these children give us all a lot of hope. They are resilient, but they need us and they need the entire state to come together to work on the issues that face them. There's a lot of trauma and I think there's a lot of stigma and maybe some negative thoughts around foster care and what these kids are and what they are not. And frankly, I've learned so much by just getting proximate to them, to their biological families that are dealing with struggles and with the foster families who step in and wrap around them. And what I really learned too is that these foster families are carrying a huge burden. So we've been really focused on how do we lift the burden of these families and how do we make sure that there's enough families for the need that's out there, that families feel like they can be a part of this system, but not feel alone. That when we wrap around the families that are fostering, that we all as a community can do our part. And I think the biggest thing is shining a spotlight on what they're doing. So many people have told me, I had no idea that down the street was fostering. I had no idea that, you know, my nephew was in need of care or whatever that looks like. We have to be aware, first of all, and then figure out what we can do as a community to wrap around the families and the children. Beautifully said. So we're going to ask for a little bit of a eavesdropping. So what kind of conversations have you had with the governor about your experience with foster care? And of course, the governor has also had his own experiences with the foster families too. But what is the behind the scenes conversation about foster care between the two of you? 
Yeah, I think for us, it's definitely me gathering this information and saying what, you know, on a policy level can we do to help? And, you know, yes, we can raise awareness. I can, you know, come in my position and shine a spotlight on on what's happening and the good that's being done. But where are the holes in policy? And it's interesting because I find that families and this children themselves feel in some ways because I'm I'm a little bit apart from the government and apart from the agencies that work with them. It feels a little safe to kind of tell me the real story sometimes. <laughs> and I feel like as I've gotten to know these families and they've confided in me some of the issues, I get letters, I have conversations with these families and they're able to tell me things that maybe they aren't telling other people. And so that's a conversation that then Spencer and I have to say, look, you know, I talk to caseworkers and say, they are struggling and how do we support them as well? Because we have to help the helpers or our children are going to fall through the cracks. And so those are the kind of conversations I have with him. What can we do? Are there some fixes? And then we've got a great team that works on this as well. Governor, you've also said you want Utah to be the first state in the nation to have a waiting list for parents rather than for children in foster care waiting for homes. Tell us more about that. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. I am very lucky to have an incredible spouse who is so engaged in this area. And she said, we we do have these conversations very regularly. And I get to go to some of the events that they put on. And then I get to have these conversations too, which is very impactful. And so as we've talked through this and looked at what's happening across the nation, and looked at the uh, the number of kids that are aging out of foster care. And if you look at our entire state, if you were to ask me, what's the most vulnerable population in your state? It would probably be kids aging out of foster care. If any state could change that, I think it's Utah. We lead the nation in volunteerism. We lead the nation in charitable giving. And we have so much generosity here. Just often people don't know how to get involved or how they can help. And of course, not everyone can foster. We understand that there's, there are different seasons in life where people can do that. But, but even those who can't foster can help and do something to lift the burden, as Abby said, for those who are fostering. And so, um, working together with Show Up Utah. They've got a team in place working again with my team and policymakers, working with Utah Foster Care, working with our faith-based communities, working with interested groups all over the state to figure out how we can do this. And of course, you've, you've heard Abby talk a lot about these care communities and the idea being that we're going to ask new people to foster and then we're going to ask 10 people in their neighborhoods, their communities, their congregations to sign up to help those families help them with mentoring, help them with with rides to soccer games, help them just bringing meals to lift those burdens. And we really believe that's a rallying cry. That's something that will help people come together. And so we're excited. Over the next few months, you'll hear more from Show Up, from Abby and her team, and from the state as we move towards something a, a little more defined and programmatic to help recruit new families. I want to say that one thing we've started at Utah Foster Care a couple years ago was the Sunday suppers. And both of you have been at two of our Sunday suppers serving. Just having a meal prepared for these families means so, so much. It really does. Again, I think we all take for granted some of these necessities of life that others are struggling for. That's what I love about the work that Utah Foster Care is doing. I love the support that Show Up is giving to our foster families. Having a meal, having a, 
just a night away with the family where you're surrounded by other families where you don't have to plan for it. It's all paid for. You can go to the zoo. You know, you can go to a movie. You can have a Christmas experience with your kids where Santa Claus shows up and you don't have to think about it. You don't have to plan it. It's all taken care of for you. And I'm so grateful for the private sector, the generosity of companies across Utah who have been willing to donate to these amazing events and just give a little bit of reprieve to these families that are carrying such a heavy burden. Just to add on to that, I think the other byproduct of families getting together, you know, whether it's a foster family night out or these Sunday supper events, it really is a networking and community building for those families. It's always great. What I see is families connecting with each other and lifting each other up. I just think it's time for us to expand that to other families around them so that it's not just them feeling like that's their whole burden to bear, that the rest of the community has a role to play as well. One thing we've heard from families is that the support of each other means so much and the support of the community. And then we hear that from the kids too, that they had the opportunity to be around other kids like them. The foster families appreciate so much the community, not only the help from the community, but the care. Like they're not the only ones caring about these kids and their families. It's the entire community coming to surround them and surround the kids. And that's what we hear from the families too, is they love how much the community shows up for these kids. Yeah, I love that too, because I've just been thinking and reading a lot about this concept of belonging. And that's why, you know, our kids that have had to be removed from their home situation, there's a lot of abandonment. There's a lot of of trauma that goes with that. But if they can find a place to belong, and if they can find that belonging in just this in this loving environment of families coming together to lift each other up, I think that's the best possible scenario for these kids as they move forward in their lives. And there has been an emphasis with the governor's administration on the importance of mental health, paying attention to that. And many of the teens and kids aging out of foster care and kids still in foster care do need some mental health help. Yeah, this is one area, Deborah, where it's not just uh, our kids in foster care. We're seeing a significant increase in anxiety, depression, self-harm, when it comes to our young people all across the state and all across the nation. And working to get more resources there, I think is critical, but it's even more acute with our foster kids. And there are, of course, professional services that that we need more of. And we've gotten significant funding over the course of the, uh, the last five years since we've really made this an area of emphasis, a- enhancing the resources that are available We're building all all across the state these new resource centers, mental health centers, kind of urgent care clinics where if, you know, if your kid wakes up with a fever at one in the morning, you don't go to the emergency room, but you can't go to the doctor's office either. We have these urgent care facilities. We're building facilities like that across the state for mental health care that when issues come up and you just need somewhere to turn, you can go and get help in these facilities. So really trying to put an emphasis there that will help people. But again, more than that, we know that there are other things that we can do. Some people just need someone to talk to. You know, they don't need a psychologist or psychiatrist. They need a mentor. They need a friend. And in these communities of care, if we can get more of those resources, Liz, as you said, understanding that it really does kind of take a village for these kids, that will go a long ways. That belonging that Abby talked about will, will help with the mental health as well. Last night, I had a conversation with the family, San Pete County, <laughs> and uh, you guys know rural areas. And one of the concerns was the lack of immediate quick mental health facilities. So something, you know, where we are really 
bringing that help to the community instead of the community having to go get that help, I think is a, a great idea. And then while we're on prevention, we want to talk a little bit about the Office of Families and how you see that piece, which I guess is a little more policy, maybe government level, but how that interacts with the work that Abby is doing with foster families. Yeah. So this is something that I, I've been interested in for a long time. You know, we consider ourselves the family state. I think the rest of the country looks at Utah as, as a family friendly state. We have more kids per capita than anywhere else. We're the youngest state in the nation. But we haven't, from a government standpoint, been intentional about family policy, making sure that we are strengthening families. And so I asked the legislature to give me the resources to create an office of family. It's an office of one. Amy Winder Newton, who actually ran against me for governor, but is a dear friend, she is running that office. And so just started last fall, went through one legislative session and was very successful. And her job is to focus the other resources of government on helping to make sure that one, we are supporting families, all families. You know, we're, we're not just talking kind of traditional families. In fact, we want to make sure we're supporting those families that maybe don't fill in that traditional model. And so that's the first piece. Are we supporting them to making sure that we're not doing things that detract from families, that laws that are passed or decisions that are made sometimes unintentionally end up harming families. And that's really the work that she is doing there. So, so while it is an office of one, she has at her fingertips uh, 23,000 state employees and several agencies. So she is working very closely with DHS, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services, and our caseworkers, listening, hearing from them, understanding where the issues are, and then helping to advocate. She has a great relationship with the legislature as well. And so we can kind of prioritize, when I put out my budget every year, the policies that we want to work on, we prioritize those. And then, and then she goes to work and helping the legislature kind of making connections that I think have been missing for a while to get good policy and get appropriate funding. And we feel like this was a great session for us. And so she will be working with Abby's team and Tracy Gruber's team at DHS to make sure that we're implementing the best policy and fixing the things that aren't working. And you are also hoping to increase the stipend for foster families because right now it hasn't been increased in many, many years. That's correct. So that was one of my goals this session was to finally get an increase. We've seen, unfortunately, prices rising, right? Just inflation over the past year that's impacting all of us. But I think those inflationary pressures on food and gas, th those are being felt even more by our foster families. So, so we put that in my budget and uh, we go to work. Oftentimes the legislature, again, I have no authority. They get to pass their budgets and do what they want to do. But I'm very pleased to report back that we were able to secure an additional $1.2 million this year. That, that money is for foster families and special needs add-ons. And so that, that's going to be huge. I don't know exactly how that pencils out right now. We're still working through that budget goes into effect on July 1st. And so we'll be able to get you more information there. But I can report back that we are going to see an increase in those stipends. And that $1.2 million, we fought tooth and nail to get that because it has been so long. And so I'm happy to let our foster families know that there is additional relief coming. Thank you. Thank you for fighting for them. I know they appreciate it. And we do want to mention, and this is kind of time sensitive, but if you're listening in May, the First Lady is going to be joining us at a special event in May, the Faces of Foster Care on Wednesday, May 17th at 7 p.m. at Entrada in Lehigh. They're, again, letting us use their facility for this really impactful conversation. 
We had our first phases of foster care last year. This is where you get to hear the whole spectrum of the child welfare community from the children who have been in foster care, the foster parents, birth parents, community champions. And Abby, that's one thing that has really come to light the past year or so, having community champions. Yeah. You know, I just think, again, going back to this idea of awareness, I just think families that are fostering are just kind of coiling sometimes in obscurity and they are doing really critical work, but no one sees it and no one really understands it. And even those who think they know don't really know the real story. And, you know, I think the most meaningful thing that I've been able to experience in the last couple of years is hearing their stories, hearing what they're going through, hearing the joys too. I think sometimes we focus on the hard stuff, which we should. I mean, it is hard. Nobody's denying they're really tough, but anybody who's been a parent knows that there's really tough stuff. And then there's the joys and there's the things that make it all worth it. And, you know, when we study happiness, and we've talked a lot with Arthur Brooks out of Harvard and the studies that he's done around happiness, it, you know, it's faith, family, it's friends, but it's work that's meaningful, work that serves. And so even though there's some really tough things and we hear the tough stories and we need to hear the tough stories, it's really fun to hear the joyful things too. It's really neat to see that when you do work that serves others, you do feel this sense of joy. There's this component of I'm making a difference in a child's life. And I think even if we're not the person fostering, having these conversations with people around the state, really opening the eyes of our community, showing them that giving a little support to these families, getting involved in foster care yourself really is going to bring meaning for this child. And it's going to bring meaning in your own life to make sure that you feel a sense of purpose as well. I just don't think there's any downside (laughs) to getting involved as a business, as a congregation, as a neighborhood or as a foster family yourself. I just think we should really celebrate the joys of these children, celebrate their wins, celebrate their personalities, who they are, their abilities, their resilience, their, you know, just their stories. I've seen that. I've seen the beautiful stories. I've seen these beautiful children who've changed me. And I hope we can all experience that together as a state and as a community. Yeah, Deborah, I would add to that. Well, actually, I wouldn't add to it. I would just maybe underscore and highlight everything that that Abby just said, because think as a society, the pendulum has swung a little too far. We used to almost never talk about the hard things and the negative things. Sometimes that's all we talk about now. And I've never met anyone on death's door who wished they had bought one more car or made one more trip to Lake Powell or whatever it is. But what they talk about are those relationships and the impact they had. And it's really the hard things that they do that define them and bring them the most joy. What Abby mentioned, Arthur Brooks and the Secret of Happiness, is they've studied this. Researchers from Harvard have looked at longitudinal studies, have looked at the thousands, literally thousands of studies on happiness. And they all lead back to these four areas that that Abby mentioned. And two of them family and work that serves others. You get two of those with foster care and foster service. And that is is so meaningful and so impactful. There is nothing more important that you will do in this life than changing a child's life for the better. That is something that can carry on past you 
four generations. And as we hear these success stories, one of my favorite things to do is talking to adults who were in the foster system, who are, who have found success, who have gotten an education or a great job or who now have families of their own. And to see them with tears in their eyes talking about the foster families that cared for them. That is just incredibly rewarding. And I hope something that will inspire more people to do the, the hard things because the hard things lead to the best things in life. Here, here. Absolutely. I love the fact that our chief executive and first lady are looking at studies on happiness. That's really great. Now may be the time we're nearing the end of our conversation, but we actually have some comments from foster parents who talk about what has made the difference and what it means to have the First Lady support. The first one is, please tell Abby Cox she's done more to make foster families visible and feel heard and cared for than anyone else. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's so kind. With this platform that I have, with this spotlight that I get to have for just a short time, it it feels important for me to really shine a light on the good people of the state that are doing the work that maybe don't feel like they've always had a voice. And so, you know, I come from a small town and, you know, an obscure little place. And for me to have this kind of spotlight, really, it's it's not the work I'm doing. I'm not fostering. <laughs> right now. And I feel like it is incumbent upon all of us in a place of visibility to really turn that spotlight, I think, on people that are doing the good work. So if I have that privilege to do it right now that, you know, I'm going to use it to the best of my ability to really turn that focus back on the people that matter. We're going to keep that focus on the work you're doing a little bit longer. And I'm going to read the next quote. I appreciate all the community discounts where the first lady has worked her magic. Having events and opportunities for the whole family, including our bio children, who have taken on the task of loving the children who come into their homes. And they give an example, Hogel Zoo, plays and musicals. So those things make a difference. Yeah, you know, that's been the really fun part of this is putting on the events. And I have to say this, again, my team and really the business community has stepped up. We have in the works, you know, in the planning, more of these foster family nights out and more of these events that we can do together. And it just, what's what I love so much about this state is it's not hard. I mean, people come to us and say, what can we do? How can we help? I mean, I can't tell you how many times the zoos reached out and said, what else can we do? Tuacon, Shakespeare Festival, that we have some events with the water parks coming up. I mean, to us, it's just like, we're just sort of matchmaking these businesses that want to help with the families that, that would enjoy this opportunity. And so for us, it's really joyful for us to make those connections and, and just really a huge shout out to Utahns and the business community and the people that rally around to want to help. It's, it really isn't us. It really is just incredible people with big hearts in the state. Think about. Just taking your family to a movie. I've heard that from more foster parents. You know, if they have three or five kids, you know, they can't afford to go to a movie. That alone means so much. And one more message from a foster parent. Sometimes it's just the little things to know that we are not in this alone and that the community stands behind us makes facing one more day manageable. And again, it's stressful on the foster families, too. We can't avoid that. But the joy in the community helping makes a difference. 
Yeah, we just live in the best state in the nation and the best place in the world. We just do. I mean, there are just incredible people that are stepping up every day when they know and when they're able to see what's going on. I mean, just in every area, obviously foster care and, and it's been really fun to, to really open people's eyes to this, to the people, to the families and to the children that are experiencing this. But, you know, we saw this with Ukraine. We, you know, we just asked for a few letters to send over with some supplies and I got 25,000 letters from children. You just ask and people step forward in this state. I just, I don't think because we're here and I've grown up here my whole life, you know, I don't think we really realize how special it is sometimes um, when we talk to our counterparts across this, the country and really the world. I just, I don't think people understand how unique it is here in Utah and how when we ask people step up and it's really incredible. And Deborah, I, you know, uh, as I travel around the state, I hear those comments all the time from people who come up to me and we're like, yeah, we're glad you're here, but we really like your wife and uh, we're grateful for the work that she's doing, especially around foster care. It'll be like, you know, my son is fostering. I'm a grandparent and I love these kids. Thank you. Or, you know, we're fostering and we, we've never had somebody pay this much attention to us at this level. And I just want to say that we, again, I'm so grateful to, to Abby for helping me understand the nuances here. But I want to also recognize that there are people like you all who have been in this space for a long time and have been carrying this heavy load and doing this big lift. And you all are far more deserving of those kind words than we are. Our job is to lift up what you're doing and to highlight and spotlight what you're doing and to try to get more resources for what you're doing. But please know we recognize the sacrifice and hard work of of the professionals, Utah Foster Care, and all those who have been in this space for a long time. And we want to thank you. Yeah, and I would echo that too. And especially, you know, you here today on this podcast, but also our caseworkers that day in and day out do this really tough work. They really are first responders and to, to the trauma and traumatic events in these children's lives. So to me, you know, that, that is where the praise goes. I would like to reflect whatever's coming our way and reflect it back to the people in the state doing the actual work, the real hard stuff and just honor their sacrifice and honor their service to our state as well. And we're getting them raises too. Thank you. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. You've been doing something that we need everyone to recognize. We need help fostering community and fostering connection. That is really what we hope for. Thank you first, Lady Abby Cox, Governor Spencer Cox, for joining us and for all you're doing for the families in Utah, especially our foster families. Thank you to my co-host, Liz Rivera, our producer, Marshall Shearer Davis. Remember, you don't need to know everything to be a foster parent. You just need to be willing to learn. For details on becoming a foster parent and all the other ways you can help, go to utahfostercare.org. I'm Deborah Lindner. See you next month. This has been Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care. Thank you for joining us. For more information, go to utahfostercare.org. We'll see you next time.